0: You're listening to the Transforming Society Podcast. I'm Richard Kemp. And on today's episode, I'm speaking with Howard Robert Reed, economist and founder of Landman Economics, and Matthew Thomas Johnson, professor of politics at Northumbria University. Alongside Stuart Lansley, Elliot Aidan Johnson, Graham Stark, and Kate Pickett, Howard and Matthew are authors of a new article in the Journal of Poverty and Social Justice that examines three microversions of universal basic income, making the argument that the system is both affordable and feasible. Universal Basic Income, or UBI as it's known, has become more prevalent in the last few years as a possible alternative to our current social safety nets. And we'll talk more about what UBI is and how it works in just a moment. I'm also joined today by Donald Hirsch, Emeritus Professor of Social Policy in the School of Social Sciences and Humanities at Loughborough University, who writes in response to Howard, Matthew, and their co-authors, that the same poverty-reducing results could be achieved by adjusting the social systems we already have in place. So today we're going to hear from two sides of the debate, Howard, Matthew, and Donald. Welcome to the Transforming Society podcast. That's great. Universal Basic Income, or UBI, um, it's mostly existed as a fringe idea. Um, Matthew, I was wondering if you could answer uh, this for me, please. Um, what, what is UBI, and uh, why, why is it picking up steam now?
1: Basic income is a very straightforward and simple policy. Ultimately, it's a means of providing uh, in cash form the resources for individuals to meet their basic needs on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. It's predictable and it's largely unconditional. It goes to citizens, largely adult citizens, uh, but there's also a case for paying children as well.
0: Mm.
1: And I think one of the key reasons that it's increased in profile in the UK and elsewhere is precisely because the existing system is just inefficient and inadequate and isn't able to deal with the myriad challenges that we face as a society. I'm a reluctant convert on this, and I'm a convert insofar as I've been persuaded by the evidence that exists about the potential for its impact. I'm also persuaded by the evidence that exists that suggests the current conditional system has built-in harms that cannot possibly address our big societal challenges.
0: Mm. And, uh, oh yeah, thanks, uh, thanks, Matthew. Um, Howard, uh, I want to, to ask you as well, um, for for this latest article that you've done for the journal, um, you examined three UBI, uh, three, three, three different UBI schemes. And you found that even the most modest would reduce child poverty to its lowest level since 1961. Can you tell us a bit more about what you examined and what you found out?
2: Sure. Um, we looked at three different schemes. Um they were designed uh in terms of different different generosities of adult and child payments in the scheme so so these kind of universal payments to all adults and children in the schemes um for working age adults the the the, the least generous scheme uh payments were set at around 60 pounds 63 pounds a week which just below a little below the kind of jsa or adult universal credit um uh Entitlements uh, at that time. Um, the most generous scheme was set uh, so that um, people in receipt of the basic income would be would, would meet the um, the minimum income standard, which is a kind of measure. Um, uh, uh, researchers at Loughborough University uh, each year calculate uh, the amount of money which uh, families of different sizes and different compositions mm. uh, need to be able to. Reach an adequate standard of living and play a full role in society, and those those and, and that that's funded by Joseph Roundry Foundation, and those those payments are kind of uh, are published. The, the 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 level of those payments is published every year. So we use the most up to date information at the time we were doing it, which was I think twenty twenty one, and set the payments in that most generous scheme to meet the minimum come standard, um, and then the second scheme is kind of midway between the 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 less generous and the more generous scheme. So it's a kind of sliding scale, ranging from uh, not so generous to kind of minimum, income standard level. Um, and for pensioners, we set payments that they'd be uh, just above the current maximum entitlement to the the new state pension, the kind of flat rate pension, which is just, I think, just over two hundred pounds a week at the moment, which people are entitled to if they've got a full record of contributions, uh, which mm-hmm. a lot of people don't have when they reach sixty six so a lot of pensioners will actually benefit from this even though it's just it's it's only a little above uh, current entitlements so we we put those uh, we we as well as making those payments we um we introduced increases to income tax and national insurance contributions to kind of make the schemes um fiscally neutral i.e. they didn't affect the government deficit um hmm. when it, 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 if they were introduced we modelled them using the the and economics tax transfer model, which is kind of micro simulation model uh, of the UK using data from a survey called the Family Resources Survey, which mm-hmm. is designed to be nationally representative and has income on uh, on uh, in, in, information on incomes for all uh, for, for different types of families in the UK. Around 15 to 20,000 families a year are surveyed. And the results were that, um, yeah, as you say, even the the least generous scheme cuts levels of child poverty uh, to to the lowest level since I think it's 1977. This scheme is very, these schemes are very redistributive, even the least generous one, and kind Mm. of get poverty down to those levels. There's also really big distributional gains um, on average for people in the the lowest decile, the lowest 10% of household incomes, and the decile above that, the kind of second decile um so very redistributive um mm. fiscally neutral if you if you adjust income tax rates and national insurance to pay for it um and and cuts poverty uh by a lot basically mm. so so so, mm. so so that was that that in broad, broadly speaking is is, is our findings
0: mm. yeah yeah no it's uh it was quite um quite eye-opening to, to yeah to read read the findings that um that you that you found and then could extrapolate uh with um uh like um to to go back as well to to like kind of why UBI is becoming so prevalent, I suppose like why like how how have we got to a situation in society right now where where UBI is being discussed more as a as a we as kind of like a as an idea that really should be um taken more seriously? Like why why are we here?
2: Well, I think one of the reasons we're here is Because of various decisions made about reform of the current social security and welfare system and also the generosity of welfare benefits, Mm. Um, relative to average earnings, benefits have been kind of falling really since the early 80s most of the time. And uh, there were various benefit freezes during the post-2010 period Mm. Um, and also an increased use of conditionality, sanctions whereby people can lose their benefit entitlement for you know, several months at a time in some cases, uh, making it more difficult to qualify for benefits, um, the process of assessment for benefits becoming more onerous in many ways. Um, all this kind of contributes to a social security system, which has currently got more holes in it than a Swiss cheese, you know, <laughs> and a lot of people are simply falling through the cracks, mm. relying on food banks, other charity help, and, um, Having to, you know, stay with relatives and things like that. I mean, mm. the 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 um the key promise of UBI, if you like, is that um, at least in terms of basic living costs, apart from housing, because we don't we don't address. It's not meant to. Uh, it's not meant to provide a full payment for housing, as that would make it much more expensive. But but for other kind of uh, things that people need to purchase, like uh food and and, and clothing and things mm. like that the idea is that we it sets a minimum standard that nobody is going to fall below because it's a universal payment and so i think that's the great attraction of it uh, mm. in that it takes the it takes the huge problems that have emerged with the way the social security system's gone in the last 45 years or so and kind of reverses all that mm. basically uh, by mm. making major major structural reforms to the system so that's why it's so important i
1: think
0: mate right. Yeah, thanks, Howard. Uh, Matthew?
1: I think the big misconception about basic income is that it's aimed at those who are out of work. I think it's understandable, given that people assume that benefits are there for those who aren't in work or can't be in work, and uh, that people would assume that basic income is for that group. But I think the biggest and most vulnerable vulnerable group we have in our society these days are those who are in work and still remain in Dire financial insecurity. At the moment, I think we really have to reconsider the notion that being in work gives us that pathway through to property, to family, to success. In many different cases, it just doesn't anymore, and the increase in the cost of mortgages is likely to exacerbate that particular problem. So I think basic income is specifically beneficial to, to the large number of workers who find themselves incapable of meeting their needs on a a daily basis while being in work. At the risk of sounding like our former Prime Minister, it's a disgrace that people can earn £50,000 a year, an incredible sum of money, and still find themselves in fuel poverty. We've got a society in which almost everyone in our society is exposed to financial distress and financial strain. And what we have to understand is that for generations, millennials. Uh, generation Z and 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 the next generation, all of those age old assumptions about work providing a pathway through to success are likely to be untrue. So what we need to do actually is to provide people with the same degree of security that the baby boomers benefited from. The, the baby boomers benefited from a society that invested heavily in its infrastructure, invested heavily in health and social, social care, but perhaps most of all created a safety net that ensured that people could go from job to job, from job to education and back, uh, who could start businesses, uh, who could contribute to society in, in myriad ways. We we need that same social security net um, rebuilt and only a less conditional system can deal with that. Um, so basic income really does provide the sort of security that has been lost in our
0: society. Mm. Yeah thank you Matthew. Um uh, Donald uh, I'm interested to hear as well you suggest that uh, rather than implementing UBI, UBI that we should be improving the social systems that we already have in place. Um how could we achieve this and and why not use UBA?
3: Yeah well we should at least consider it as an option is what i'm saying okay. um, and and if we're going to mod i mean the 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 the, the more, most modest system, which Howard was describing, is in indeed very redistributive, very very tightly to the to the bottom decile group. Mm. Um, even people in the in in the next decile up, um, there are significant numbers of losers. Um, so the question is, um, do we ha- do we have <clears throat> consent of the public to redistribute in that in to that degree? And let's not pretend that just because we're giving somebody a um, a, a check in the post that, that, that they won't notice if they're worse off overall are we willing what if, if we are really willing to to do that on an unconditional basis what is the best way to do it now all the things which which um Howard was mentioning such as reducing conditionality and becoming mm-hmm. more generous could be done um, in a uh, in in, in a, a the present system. Um, it's a question of are we willing to do that? Is the public willing to do that? If they're willing to do it through UBI, why aren't they willing to do it at present? And, mm. and as I say, you know, people aren't going to just be fooled by the fact that it seems to be free money if they're worse off. Um, now, the, the the particular, I mean, if you if you went to full UBI, and, and I mean, you've got to believe to be, to be, to think it's worth going in this direction. You've got to believe that someday we would reach that, and maybe mm. in the distant future when we think about things differently, we will. But just to point out that that full UBI um properly covered IE fiscally neutral in the way you're talking about mm-hmm. um would require 95 percent top rate of tax and 60 percent basic rate so three times the the basic rate I mean that's uh, you, we can understand why we're not ready for that you you then look at the basic scheme and 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 it's it's a three percent increase in, in in income tax which is pretty modest um relatively um and then there's a huge amount of um, rejigging by basically abolishing um the, the tax allowance most of the tax allowance and that raises over 100 billion mm. um what, what was it 160 billion i think it was it, it is the total um amount um is that right yes Some so 160 billion is the total increase in taxation and and it's kind of effectively you know saying that rather than getting a tax allowance you get this this this, this basic income and that will create winners and losers, what it will also do in the way it's a very complex system that, that they're designing, it's not the simple UBI because it it, it mm-hmm. retains um, universal credit I and mean, it's very generous to people on universal credit and that's why, especially people who aren't working um, and, that, and, and that's why it has such fantastic results in terms of poverty the mm-hmm. question is wouldn't it be simpler, for example wouldn't it be at least worth modelling what would happen if you had a 3% increase in income tax um across the board and put all that into increasing the universal credit rate i don't think there's anything i mean there's nothing um you know impossible about doing things from that end the real question is do people are people sort of put off by the present system um for some reason because it's because of its sharp um it, it, it particularly because it, it, it's sharp withdrawal of of income, it's sharp means tested characteristic. Well, actually, as it happens, there's a seventy one percent combined um, withdrawal rate in in the in Howard Matthews basic system. So you're kind of not getting rid of that. You know, it, it, I suppose what I'm saying overall is that for the full thing, it just looks, I'm afraid, very pie in the sky. Mm-hmm. And for the partial thing, you you're doing lots of things which look quite similar. To keeping the present system in in many ways, but you're also creating some losers um, of of the people in the second decil, um Nearly twenty percent, one in five, are losing at least five percent of their income, and and you know that could be you know that, that's 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 troubling. I mean, but it's not it's not really about that. It's about it's about are you achieving what you want, um, or could you do something in a much I would say simpler way if you think mm. that the public is ready for less conditionality for, and for more, greater generosity and for a bit more income
1: tax. Mm.
0: Uh, Matthew, yeah,
1: I think there are various different responses to Dan- Donald's perfectly understandable concerns about uh, UBI and the research that's been conducted. And I think that the first one is really to understand why the current system is viewed as being sensible. So the, the basic intuition that people have about social, social security systems is that resources ought to go to the worst off. So that sounds like our current system. But when you ask people what resources should go to the worst off and under what conditions, they present an account of conditionality that's so extreme and uh, an account of, of payment that's so inadequate that the system itself becomes unsustainable. And that's one of the reasons why austerity measures have been um, so easy to implement and to advance. So what 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 we do is when we speak to people about welfare systems, we ask them, well, under what conditions should help go to the worst off? And they say, well, the conditions are vanishingly small because I, as someone who works, can only imagine needing welfare um, when I'm totally and utterly incapacitated so you and so well what resources should go to those who are totally and utterly incapacitated and they say well the absolute minimum and they might say well we need to allocate more resources to those who've got extreme disabilities but in general they say when when you say look this is about giving money from your salary through income tax to uh, the worst off. people say well I can't afford to give money out of my uh, salary for uh, supporting those who, who aren't in work so we should reduce the support that's available so very quickly you go from people preferring conditional systems to actually producing conditional s- systems that are totally unsustainable totally inefficient totally inefec- ineffective now what happens when you ask them about basic income is that their um, the process of reasoning changes so they you say well look A generous form of basic income would secure your basic needs. And people think, well, okay, look, I'm exposed to financial insecurity. There's a risk of my losing my mortgage. And if I lose my mortgage, I'm then going to have to rent probably in perpetuity. So if there is to be a welfare system that benefits me specifically, it's going to be one that's generous, that's around the level of the state pension, and which is there when I need it, which could be... um, almost immediately if I'm made redundant. So what what happens with basic income is that even though it's not the first intuition that people have about how we should support people in a welfare system, it very quickly becomes an in-group issue. It it addresses the what what people feel is a a fairness deficit in terms of resources going to those who are out of work and to an in-group issue for those who are in work. So they very quickly see that basic income at a generous level, something like Scheme 2 and above, provides them with degrees of support that they themselves need. And that removes the zero-sum competition between worker and non-worker that currently exists. So in effect, what we find is that actually, although people might express an intuition in support of something like the conditional system that we currently have, when you dig into the Reasons for that intuition and present them with alternatives. Very quickly, the current system becomes politically toxic, and actually, a generous basic income system becomes much more politically feasible.
0: Mm. Could I could I
3: respond to that? Please do, Donald. Um, a couple of things. First of all, uh, on on the sort of worker versus non-worker. I mean, we first had tax credits. We then had universal credit. Both were actually named and designed. To try to emphasize that they weren't just for people who are not working. Um, The reason that we called them tax credits was because because we rather misguidedly wanted to make them part of the tax system, um, which was thought to be something which isn't just about people being out of work. Universal credit, the the clue is in the first first word, universal, and and people, I think to a large degree but not to a great enough degree, understand that this isn't just for people who don't work. so, the, the, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. That it's very difficult to um, get people to take constructive views about about conditionality or non-conditionality. Um, but the real question is whether that problem is solved um, through um, a, um, a a UBI, which involves people paying a lot more tax. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, talk about. I mean, in in the Johnson Johnson. And nettle paper, which you cite, um, you talk about how if you talk to people a lot about UBI, they start to warm to it, but not, but, but not in relation to talking about its cost. And the real question is: yes, of course, people think it's lo- lovely to give money to people um, if they, if, if one of them is me. Uh, but you have, I haven't seen the evidence which shows that people are willing to take a take a, a net hit, um, including people near the bottom of the income distribution and and but to a much greater the extent people closer to the top that they're willing to do that i don't think that these these opinion surveys have, have really demonstrated
1: that at all
0: mm. uh, matthew do you yeah i'd like to hear your response there
1: all of the evidence that we've seen suggests that social security is a priority for people people need that uh support to reduce and mitigate risk um but the At the same time, people are really conscious of the way in which their finances are stretched and they see increases in income tax, particularly at the basic and high level, um, as being completely unsustainable. And that's for good reason. People's finances genuinely are stretched up to levels that we haven't seen in recent decades. So what's the alternative? Well, the, the, the work that we've done on public opinion all suggests that wealth taxes are popular carbon taxes are popular, taxes on corporations are are popular, taxes on passive wealth in general seem to be a means of funding redistributive transformative programs. And I I think it's hugely important that we recognize that these are viable, practicable alternatives to a system based entirely on uh, income tax uh, receipts. Given that the rewards for wages in comparison to wealth have reduced in in comparison over the last few decades. It is just fundamentally unjust that we regard income taxes as being the sole means of funding redistribution. We we should be attacking passively earned wealth that's often offshored um, and and contributes very little to our day-to-day productivity in society.
3: Yeah, well, it's always easy to say we're in favour of, of, of getting money if, if we're not con- considered to be the people who pay for it, but somebody has to pay for it. Um, if if corporation tax, if if the kind of eye-watering levels of of gross cost, if you like, to, to, for these, you know, the hundreds of billions you need for these taxes could be raised through corporation taxes and the like, hmm. I mean, that would be amazing. But we don't seem to have been very good at, at raising anything like that, but for all the many things that people are in favour of, such as the NHS and and education, you know there has to have to be constraints on that. And and the idea that you can suddenly come up with hundreds of billions from that source, I, I, but it's just it's, it's also just that it's just not surprising that that if you say to somebody, would every would you like to, everybody to be paid some money, and it's not going to cost any of you guys anything, it's not surprising people say yes to that. But I just don't think, I just don't see why why there's reason to think you can raise those other amounts, those am- amounts from other sources. Can I just
2: make one Please point do, Howard. At, this, at this point? Um, I just wanted to get back to the idea of the, the third scheme that we tested where you raise payments to the minimum income standard is ambitious, right? Because the minimum, because at the moment there are millions of people living in households who are below the minimum income standard. But to me, that's a hmm. that's a shocking indictment of the current social security system. And if you, I mean, I'd like to model, um, as Donald has suggested, increasing universal credit. I'd like to model increasing universal credit to minimum income standard levels. But if you did that and you increased take up to 100, percent, Senobi was falling through the cracks, and you got rid of sanctions and you made it easier to claim you'd have a very high gross cost right um so 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 i think whilst there is a high gross cost to that that third scheme um in particular i mean it's partly because we're trying to do something very ambitious um we're mm-hmm. trying to do it because it's it, it it's it's kind of a shocking indictment of the current system that there's so many people below i mean it's called a minimum income standard for a reason because you know we feel they shouldn't be ideally there shouldn't be anybody below that standard so mm-hmm. so I think you know um, it's important to remember what we're trying to do with that yeah, how a most, uh, 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 most sorry generous system
3: yeah, yeah how, how do I agree with that, that that and and as somebody who was sort of pretty much the person who designed the new income standard I've always acknowledged that it's a it's something we want to move towards and 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 it's very difficult to do it in with either system. Um, it, it, today, um, but we, if we look at your scheme two, um, more precisely your scheme two A, we've got the ba- basic income tax of forty eight percent. I mean, it, it's almost the same argument, really. I mean, it's two and a half times what people, people pay now.
2: But that is with national insurance, employee national insurance, with um, So, so you have to kind of compare it. I mean, I know it's something. That that scheme too, I think, abolishes employee national insurance. So so you really need to compare what is it thirty one? Oh, yeah, Th- you need to okay. compare thirty one percent combined yeah. rate in the in the current baseline with what we're kind of. But it's, still nearly, 80%, it's still, only only still nearly eighty. It's still nearly eighty percent for the
3: top rate. Yeah, yeah, no, it's still a big increase. At the top, absolutely. Mm. Okay, but even even what you're saying, thirty one percent to forty eight percent, that's that is a still a huge increase, right?
0: Oh yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk a bit more about about funding, actually, because um when when I talk to family and friends about UBI and they ask me and they they ask me the question of like uh, yeah how how is it going to work? What's going to get taken away? What how is it going to be funded? I find it very difficult to explain that. Um, uh, one family member was just asking yesterday. Oh, so so we're gonna give we're gonna give everybody money, uh, regularly. Um, but there's like, you know, there's tens of millions of us. I, I, I can't remember the specific number of the population anymore, but it's something like 65 million, isn't it? Something along those lines. Um, but he, he couldn't, and I couldn't, he couldn't get his head around it. And I couldn't explain it of just like, how I suppose, like, would, would UBI replace all of, I know you've, you've, uh, mentioned quite a lot of this already, but I'd like to kind of get it, get it here too. Of Just like, would, would UBI replace all benefits and universal credits and things like that and and how would ubi be funded
2: well in all the in all the schemes we modelled um child benefit as, as currently constituted is replaced by the ubi because the ubi payments are higher than current child benefit payments and the state pension is also replaced by ubi um mm. again for the same reason the the proposed payments are higher than current state pension entitlements um the for working age people um the current universal credit system is is retained but where people um where people get a higher entitlement from ubi than they would get as a result of um universal credit payments then 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 they don't need to get universal credit anymore because the universal Mm. credit sorry the ubi payments are taken into account as income for the for the purposes of calculating universal credit, so so basically, you know, yeah, um, uh, your your universal credit is reduced by the amount of UBI you get. Um, minus the disregard, yeah, minus the disregard. When the disregards introduced to, to make sure that um people at the bottom of the institutions, the income distribution still kind of gain from the policy. Um, mm. in the third system, the most generous system, you don't need a disregard anymore because the payments are so high that most people are actually floated off universal universal credit. The bits of the system that still that, that, that in the current the bits of the current system that still carry on are support for housing costs. So that element of universal credit still mm. is still maintained. Um, and um, extra cost benefits for disability. So PIP and attendance allowance, personal independence payment and attendance allowance
0: mm-hmm. still
2: persist with the idea being that the university UBI isn't designed to meet all the the extra costs associated with disability. Now, there's a there's a separate question as to whether the those those other benefits are adequate for to, to meet the cost of disability. I'd argue they're not, but we haven't tried to address address that in this research. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's basically the changes that are made to the, the benefit
3: system. Um, so the, 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 the simple the simple answer to your friend's question is um, the money is coming from somewhere and mm. either it's coming th- through a, a, a ch- changes in the tax system mm-hmm. which will create net winners or losers or we find some other um source that, apart from income tax such as corporation <clears> <throat> tax um but that the but that the amount you have to find is very large
0: right yeah thank you um matthew uh, i also want to ask with um you you've said that UBI would significantly improve the health of the British people. Um, You've even called it this generation's NHS. Uh, What do you mean here?
1: I think it's crucially important to emphasise that the health of our nation depends upon financial security. A lot of the crises that we see in public health stem directly from political conditions. And what seems to be uncontroversial in terms of debate debate on development and aid overseas suddenly becomes incredibly complicated and complex in the UK for reasons that I, I just find difficult and difficult to understand. We, we seem to accept in terms of debates on development and aid that the better off a society is, the healthier it is. And if that's true of societies overseas, of low and middle income countries in particular, then it surely has to be true of Western industrialised societies and domestic policy. So we've got these bizarre debates about the direction of causality between income and health that really only exist within a particular academic context of um, domestic policy development. And when we strip away that particular academic context, we find ourselves being confronted by a world in which it clearly is the case that income, wealth, financial security contribute to um, human health in, in clear ways. And it should be uncontroversial <laughs> that uh, people have got access to better resources, if they've got access to, to greater resources, then they've got their ability the ability to satisfy their needs much more effectively. We live in a society in which there are people dying of respiratory conditions that we could all avoid if we just lived in warmer, drier houses. You've got adults, grown men riddled with lice you've got people who are facing totally avoidable diseases, historical diseases that they wouldn't have if they just had a bit more income. And it's not simply that if people get better resources, um, they uh, become better able to, to satisfy those basic needs. It's also that a large unconditional social security net has a clear impact in terms of mitigating stress. And um, What we find in deeply unequal societies is that people are exposed to conditions that do induce stress. Harmful, unequal working conditions, harmful, unequal uh, domestic situations all induce stress. And there are clear biopsychosocial pathways through from that stress to impacts on health. the point is with this, that if you give people a predictable, secure, generous, basic income, they've got the ability to leave. And that ability to leave naturally reduces some of the stress to which they're exposed. And if things don't improve, it gives, the people, to, it gives people an opportunity to leave. And that's something I think we all ought to have. It's of interest to all of us that we've got the ability to leave harmful, exploitative, dangerous situations. Having that ability to leave also affects people's working conditions, their relationships um, in ways that perhaps we haven't fully appreciated. Just knowing that somebody can leave can change the way that a manager deals with them. Knowing that a partner can leave if, they, if they've if they got financial independence can change the way in which a partner um, deals, with the, deals with them. So I think that's Crucially important. But I think the, the final point on this is that having the shadow of the future cast over people creates an incentive for health promoting behavior. So we, we see this association between lifestyle diseases and socioeconomic status, and it's not fully explained by poverty, it's not fully expo- explained by exposure to stress. It's also partially ex- explained by people realizing that if their lifespan is long, they've got every reason to invest in health-promoting behaviour. If their lifespan is short, then they've got every reason to engage in health-diminishing hedonistic behaviour. And my colleague, Daniel Nettle, has done a a lot of work on this. And he's demonstrated in various different circumstances that having that shadow of the future over people changes the way that they engage with with food, with hedonistic uh, behaviour. And that all contributes to Um, a potential increase in people's health across their lives and each of these three pathways has collectively an impact on public health and when we think about public health budgets we have to remember that the NHS is healthy because we've got such poverty and inequality in our society if we reduce poverty inequality and stress associated with that we'd have a healthier body of uh, people and we'd have a, a massively reduced uh, rate of avoidable conditions, lifestyle conditions that currently plague our public budgets. And and thinking about generosity of, of schemes and thinking about the ambition that we have as a society to improve, we ha- we have to remember that when the NHS was created, it was probably the costliest possible intervention at the time in which Britain, on paper, had the least ability to to afford it. We're in a similar period of crisis as Britain faced in 1945. And we need to understand that the cheapest interventions end up being the most expensive because they don't deal with the the root causes of our problems. This is exactly the time in history at which we need a new beverage report, a new transformative policy programme to uh, change the way that we work as a society.
0: Mm. Yeah, thank you, Matthew. Yeah, please, Donald.
1: Yeah,
3: I, I think that I would very much agree with what you just said about health and particularly about security. And that the present system is very much epitomised by, characterised by, um, the lack of security. And that can be to do with the kinds of jobs that people can get, uh, the lack of a sort of stable um guaranteed income um and also the ways in which the policies themselves keep on changing and, and that we know from our research puts people under stress in itself because they don't really think you know whether the conditions which apply today are going to apply tomorrow. And I think that the um the universal basic income debate and then it's it's understandable popularity, um the core idea is is very attractive, has actually sort of I think contributed to a wider uh, debate, uh, yeah, debate and set of initiatives around um, a, a guaranteed basic, a, a minimum income guarantee of some sort. Um, and in Scotland, um, the, the government is actively in facilitating um, that kind of debate and considering how you could sort of create something. But having started off wondering whether, whether this could look like UBI, they 've sort of moved much more towards um using something more similar to the present structures I.e um we can say means test of benefits we can say means tests of pay payments which get withdrawn as you as you earn more mm-hmm. um which is what what taxes do anyway um and so I think it's very healthy very good that we are having this this debate and very important that people that we that we look around for ways in which in which Something which people can believe in and 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 the government can guarantee on an ongoing basis is there. But there's a huge huge difference of opinion clearly about how what the best me- mechanism for that is.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, so you're all um, from from reading the this initial article and also the responses back and forth. Um, I gather that you're all, and and actually you, you've mentioned it a few times during today's um, discussion that. Um, you all believe that minimum incomes need to increase. Um, what is the reality at the moment, and what's the potential result if things don't change?
3: Terrible. <laughs> I mean, I mean, according to the minimum income standard, um, if you if you don't have children and you're working age, you get something below a third of what you need. Mm. Um, and even if you have a family, when you used to get two thirds um if you weren't working at all um it's now down to just over half and things have as howard said been getting a lot worse and 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 it's it, i mean all the sort of social damage that you might, might that we're seeing now is is getting entrenched
0: yeah uh matthew howard anything else you want to add to that
3: yeah, i'd agree
2: completely with what donald said there and the other thing is that the uh things were bad even before the current sort of spike in inflation and cost of living crisis in many in, in many ways they're getting worse because some of the biggest inflation we've seen has been in terms of essential food items energy things like that you know essentials um mm. also um real real earnings uh, um particularly last year growth in average earnings was significantly below. CPI inflation, so that means that the the group that Matthew talked about, you know, low income people in work, are thought uh, that there are more and more of them going to be falling behind the minimum income standard because they can't um, they can't keep pace with that standard given the current current earnings re, reduct, real earnings losses. Um, and the, uh, you yeah, know, the, 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 current benefit system isn't getting even any more generous. It's, it's just keeping pace with C CPI for working mm-hmm. age people. For pensioners mm-hmm. is slightly different, but, um, yeah, so huge problems and growing problems. Absolutely. Yeah, and
3: I think, I think yeah. people are seeing, I think people are, I think I agree in broad terms that attitudes may well be changing in the positive direction. And it, it is of course how you frame, how you frame the, the debate and how mm-hmm. you frame what your improvements are. Um, but you know, for example, when when the universal credit temporary um increase by twenty pounds a week was cut, I think there was very broad both political and public um opposition to that. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't be gloomy that, that we can never um <clears throat> under whatever system we we choose, I wouldn't be gloomy that we can't persuade the public um that you need greater security. Um but it's a question of of, of what telling them the whole story in terms of what it's going to do to their pockets, having something which is sustainable um, fiscally. Um, and you know we, we obviously don't agree about what that is, but I think we all agree that you need something like that.
0: Mm. Yeah, thank you, Donald. Um, Howard, Matthew, uh, Donald, thanks so much for talking, talking to me and uh, uh, helping me understand uh, UBI so much more today. Um, uh i'll let everybody know where they can find your article and and responses uh soon but i'm just wondering um uh uh, where where we where we can find you online well
2: um matthew and i are both at um uh, um we both have uh academic positions at university of northumbria so 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 we're on we're online there i -hmm. I, i'm also um my my, my other job is um run my own economics consultancy landman economics so i've also got a a website there that's 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 currently in the process of being updated so 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 got a good kind of online presence
3: mm, great and uh yes i have a page on still and loughborough university website um but and, and i tweet so mm, mm-hmm. uh, you can you can put my twitter in um name in there
0: lovely
2: we thank you i tweet, tweet as well so uh yeah yeah howard i'll read <laughs> so uh, yeah i'm, I'm
1: there <laughs>
0: Grand.
1: just find out i I suppose it's worth mentioning that our NIHR, public health and UBI report will be out on July the 13th. And mm. that hopefully will set out some really important findings in terms of the impact of basic income schemes that have been modelled in, in this article on public health in general and returns on investment. So hopefully that will take things
0: forward. Oh, great. Thank you. Should sure that be a great read. I'll look that up as well. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Howard, Robert Reed, and Matthew Thomas Johnson's article with their co-authors, Universal Basic Income is Affordable and Feasible, Evidence from UK Economic Microsimulation Modeling, appears in Volume 31, Number 1, of the Journal of Poverty and Social Justice, published by Policy Press. You can find out more about the articles and the subsequent responses between them and Donald Hirsch by visiting BristolUniversityPressDigital.com and also TransformingSociety.co.uk.